Hello, and welcome to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. In this series, we're going to be reviewing a sermon from Pastor Jeff Turner. And the sermon series is called The Red Pill, and uses the movie The Matrix. I like that, being a God Still Speaks Through Jackasses individual as I am. I like the fact that he's using the pop culture to illustrate biblical truths, but we're going to just find out how much on the mark Pastor Jeff is with his approach to this sermon series. As always, I want to thank, uh, first of all, Mr. Greg Mann, who you hear playing so wonderfully behind here on this bump. This song is uh, called Time is Money. You can check out all his stuff on the regular outlets, including iTunes and Amazon. In fact, if you go to the uh, God Still Speaks to Jackass's uh, Facebook site, you'll see a couple of links up there where you can stream the entire uh, tune and take a listen to it before you buy. Yeah, check out Greg Mann's stuff. He is fantastic. Thank you, Greg. Also, thanks to Five Iron Frenzy for the use of their tune, My Evil Plan to Save the World. You can always check out what Five Iron Frenzy is up to at www.fiveironfrenzy.com. Also, thank you to Cody F. Miller for the use of his piece entitled Balaam that serves as the artwork for the podcast. You can check out Cody's stuff at www.codyfmiller.com. And as always, thank you to Gene Talley, my ministry coach. If you're looking for ministry coaching of pure awesomeness, please contact Gene at revtalley at gmail.com. That's R-E-B-T-A-L-L-E-Y at gmail.com. I'm going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. We're going to we're going to break out of another segment of the matrix. This segment of the matrix is sin separates from God, and that will be fun. Okay? But you know what? We think sin is so powerful. We think that it actually has the power to separate us from God. But do you know it didn't separate Adam from God? You know that? You ever read the Genesis account where Adam and Eve partake, partake of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What happens? The fruit is in their belly, right? They know what they've done. They've become conscious of their nudity, and they're covering themselves with fig leaves. And then what happens? Did they hear a scream coming from the heavens as God suddenly realized what they did? Why? And he came down. He's like, and they're like, Father. And he's like, stay back. Stay back. If you come one inch closer, my glory will destroy you. Stay where you are. And they're like, Father. He's like, no, no closer, no closer. I love you. I'll see you in 4,000 years when Jesus comes. But until then, I'm going to send you a few prophets and Moses and a couple types and shadows. But I'm sorry, kids. If you come close to daddy, he's so powerful. He's going to rip you to shreds. So long. Is that what happened? No, Adam and Eve were were wallowing in shame and misery and self-loathing. And God shows up in the middle of it to walk with Adam. Like he did every other day. No, he didn't. The text says nothing like this in Genesis 3. It says that God did speak to them, but nothing about hearing or walking that. As Pastor Jeff indicates, here. God may not have cried out, as Pastor Jeff suggests, with this wailing, this seems to indicate more the fact that 
God knew this was going to happen. You remember when I was talking about covenants and how God made the covenant with Israel knowing that they couldn't keep it? God made the covenant with essentially Adam and Eve. He knew they could not keep even this simple covenant of not partaking of the fruit of this particular tree. God knew this was going to occur. And he, I speculate, planned this in order to show us a side of this. At my church, we've been studying First Peter. And one of the most intriguing verses in First Peter is this, this notion that what we know about God, the angels long to look into. We know the grace of God, the mercy of God the loving kindness of God, the long-suffering of God, and the angels do not know this. They wish they did. And God knew, as he created us, that he wanted to reveal every single aspect of himself to us. And that, unfortunately, in some ways, necessitated us breaking these covenants. And God might not have cried out as Pastor Jeff suggested. But he did curse the man and the woman. It's pretty severe. He did expel them from the garden. And let me just take a little gospel aside here. Why did God ask, where are you? Was this perhaps an opportunity for confession? And, and Adam acquiesces to this, and, and so should we. When God says, where are you? What are you doing? God, I am rebelling against you. It's essentially Adam's answer. God draws Adam to this confession. Sort of. Adam ends up blaming it on this woman that you gave me, gave me, gave me the fruit and told me to eat. So it's a sort of confession. And then God gives him the promise of the gospel in verse six, uh, verse 15, which says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, that he will be bruised on the heel. We are reminded of Christ's crucifixion here. But that the man, the seed of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent. And then God goes on to kill an animal and use the animal's skin to cover Adam and Eve. Just as he will use Christ's sacrifice. In fact, God's voluntarily offering himself as a sacrifice for our covering. This this is what's going to happen. This is complete gospel here. But in no place does God walk with, appear before 
Adam. And Eve after their sin. Nowhere is he ignoring the fact that they broke the covenant. The covenant was broken to show God's grace and mercy and loving kindness and long-suffering toward us, even though we could never live up to or get to God. He says, I know this. I'll prove it to you time and again. And he proves it to us humans starting right here in the garden. God doesn't ignore the sin. He deals directly with it. The curse might as well be that screaming that Jeff is saying did not happen. And Jeff is outside the bounds of this text to say that God came in and just walked with Adam as he normally did, ignoring his sin. At any rate, the man only heard God's voice. The man is hiding. The man stays hidden. And this is a smart move on his part. Because he knows. He's just taken of the fruit of knowledge. He knows that to stand in the presence of Almighty Holy God would be his demise. And so he stays hidden. And the conversation in Genesis 3 is one that is... It's a conversation that's had from afar. And Pastor Jeff is, is, is not keying in on this, and he certainly should, because our sin, our desire to try to get to God by the means we have deemed possible are not the means by which God has ordained. Let's continue on. Right? Did he show up with his belt in his hands? Did he show up with the paddle? No, he showed up looking for Adam. He's like, you know, I, I mean, I set my watch for this. I mean, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I heard you, but we knew we were naked and so we hid. And then God says, who told you that you were naked? Who made you aware of your weakness? Who told you you weren't worthy to be in my presence? And for 4,000 years, that was the fruit that was rotting in the belly of men. It was this notion that I'm naked and I can't be with God. God didn't separate himself from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve separated themselves from God. Come on now. And the Bible says that we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. Where does the Bible say this, Pastor Jeff? Please, I, again, I've asked for some references before. Perhaps you could give us some references here. You say that the Bible says we were enemies in our own minds because of our evil behavior. It sounds like a Bible verse to me. Where is this written in Scripture? Because, unfortunately, I'm not aware of it. The Bible verses I recall are Bible verses like Romans 5, where St. Paul tells us, for if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, again, emphasizing the fact that we are enemies of God, 
I'm also reminded of Colossians, where Paul tells us that we were formerly, formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, alienated from God and hostile in mind toward God. These are the sort of things that the scripture teaches, not that, as you say, we were enemies in our own minds, but that we were indeed enemies, indeed alienated and hostile toward God. So it's not a state of mind that we are hostile, enemies, alienated from God. If we take the scripture seriously, we are indeed enemies and alienated from God. And this sounds like theological hyperbole, probably, to a lot of you. Let's talk about our sin on the ground and why it makes us enemies and aliens to God. See, so often, especially in North America, we have this abstraction, this vagary towards sin because Let's be honest. Sin's like sin, like what's happening with the IS in Iraq right now, are completely foreign to us. We have no clue what real sin looks like on the ground. It's just an abstraction to us. It's like, oh, our sin, which doesn't affect anybody or anything. It's just this this uh, manipulation tool that the, quote, matrix, as Pastor Jeff has pointed out, uses to control us. And nothing can be further from the truth. Sin is harmful and destructive. Again, just look at what the IS is doing with children in Iraq right now. And if you do not think that you're this kind of sinner... Please, I invite you to read Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where we are just as damnable of a sinner as any IS agent, beheading children. We are murderers, adulterers, haters, to the nth degree. This is where I think Pastor Jeff is slipping into error. To think that our sin ha- doesn't have any consequences with God. Because to say that is to say that God could care less what our murdering hearts do to our neighbor. And God is God is love. God will take the side of the victim each and every time against us sinners. And our only hope for staying the hand, the only hope that we have for propitiation of God's wrath toward us because we have so heinously sinned and hurt his creation, his people, and so many varied ways is that Jesus, who is God himself, God decided, well, you know what? I'll figure out a way to take this punishment on myself. The punishment is there. It's not a vagary. It's not an abstraction. Sin is real. We do real sins that hurt real people. 
God's gracious act of putting the law in place does a couple of things. What, what Luther calls the first use of the law. He is so amazingly gracious, in fact, that, that he puts his law in place really to protect others. And the laws must have consequences as a deterrent from certain behavior. Otherwise, they're not laws. Again, this is an act of love by God. If, if, if who obeys the speed limit? I know I don't. Unless I think I'm going to be caught and punished for disobeying it. And really, what's the purpose of the speed limit? Not just, it's not just an oppressive rule placed on our lives. It is put in place for the protection of others with which we drive on the highway. This is an act of grace and mercy on God's part. And our sin is real. And it seems that Pastor Jeff is putting our sin into this abstraction. Like, ah, it's just a religious term that people have preached to you to scare you about God. No. Sin is real. And when you sin, when I sin, it hurts others in profound ways. And in fact, may ruin their lives. And in fact, may take their lives. And for God to say, ah, don't worry about that. I'm not worried about your sin. It's irrelevant to me. There's no punishment for it. It's for God to say, I don't love the victims of your sin. I love you. So just don't worry about that sin that may have ruined somebody's life or could potentially ruin somebody's life. Don't worry about that sin that could take the life of another. I love you. It's in your own mind that you think that this sin has any offense to me. This is not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that our sin, that our doing harm to our neighbors deeply, deeply hurts and offends God. There is no other God like this. There is no other God who takes the side of those offended and hurt by our sin. And there is no other God, praise be to God, that says, you know what? Your sin has deeply hurt and damaged others who I love. And you deserve punishment for that. You should have it. But I will devise a plan where I will take the punishment on your behalf. And this is the gospel, dear friends. And to think that sin, which is what I sense Pastor Jeff is implying here, doesn't matter to God. It's inconsequential. It's really to negate the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ, who is our God and our Lord. Let's continue on and see how Jeff, Pastor Jeff continues to handle this. Come on now. The Bible says that you and I were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. Because of our evil behavior, we thought we were his enemies, but he never really considered us that. We were just hiding with Adam in the fig trees, ashamed. But then it says Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. 
Why did he have to seek us? Because we were hiding with Adam. And then he hangs on the cross and he identifies with us and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He takes on Adam's cry. He takes on your cry. The cry that really thought you were God's enemy. The cry that, that idea that you really thought you were an enemy of God. He took that cry upon himself and he found Adam and he found. And keep in mind the scriptures I just quoted to you, the, the Romans and the Colossians scriptures. And, and these, these are just, these are not simply proof texts. This, this is thematic. Of the writings of Paul and the New Testament, that we are indeed enemies of God. This is interesting. When Jesus says, I am the Prince of Peace, when the scriptures testify of Jesus, as Jesus, of Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, this is not just a little warm, fuzzy feeling in our hearts, friends. He is the Prince of Peace because he has come to negotiate peace between himself and you because he considers you an enemy at war with him. And he is going to give up his very life in order to procure that peace. That's the only way. But unless we see ourselves as enemy, as a, and enemies, as the scripture suggests, then Christ's mission is might as well be in vain. Christ, if God doesn't care about sin, if we can just murder each other, if we can just take advantage of each other, if we can hate each other, and that's no problem to God. He doesn't have any issues with this. Then really, Jesus has no place to come and take on, as God, human flesh in order that we may gaze upon him and die in our place and rise again. There's no need for it. He should have just said, you know what, look folks, you know, you can hurt each other as much as you want to. I don't care. That's not the issue. The issue is I want you to know I love you, no matter how much you hurt each other. I don't care about it. how much you murder and hate and destroy others' lives. That's irrelevant to me. What I want you to know is I love you, even though you're a wretched, damnable sinner, which is what we are. No. God, in the form of Jesus Christ, comes to say, I do care that you hate and murder and take advantage of each other and lie and want each other's property all the time. And you disrespect your parents. And you disrespect, essentially, God. He says, I care about others. And I love others. And I will not allow you to operate this way but you have and there is a consequence to my law otherwise my law would not be my law it would be something else it would be irrelevant I shouldn't even have made it 
But God says, because I know that you cannot keep this law, I know you will be murderers. I know you will be haters. I know you will be idolaters. I know you will be adulterers. I know you will be a covetous people. I, myself, am going to stand in your place because you are these things and I love you. And from that, from that great news of the gospel, that we know we are loved, unconditionally, and that we are no longer enemies of God, but at peace with God, are we able to carry on and then move into another place in our lives where we might actually love our neighbor and not hate them? Or we might actually have in our hearts something good to do, to say, to be toward those near us. This is the good news of the gospel. And I want to carry on with Pastor Jeff here to see where he's going with this because he seems to negate this idea of sin. Sin is real. It's not this abstraction. My sin has... I don't even want to think about right now. The, the collateral damage my sin has caused in others' lives. And the subsequent punishment that I should get because my sin has been so destructive. This is what Jesus came to stand in the gap for. For real sin that hurts real people that God loves. Let's see where Pastor Jeff goes with it. found us hiding with Adam, and he brought us back into Daddy's living room. He said, now I brought the family back together. And the father said, well done, my son. Your sin never really did keep you from God. It didn't really keep God from you. It kept you from God. It made you feel unworthy to be in his presence. Okay, let's talk holiness here. Pastor Jeff says, it made you feel unworthy to be in his presence. Isaiah 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations, the thresholds, trembled at the voice of him who called out with the temple, and while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. What is it that makes us want to be in the presence of God? 
I say it's His holiness. Pastor Jeff is right to say that holiness just isn't a moral purity, albeit it is that. It's something totally other. That's what holiness means. It means otherness. Something we can't define. This is a mystery. It's not only perfection, love, transcendence, mercy, grace, wrath. Name your attribute. Holiness is otherness. And I contend that our sin, both that we are sinners, in other words, we are born sinners. This whole notion that that sin isn't something we just come out of the womb with is, is completely unbiblical. It's preposterous. I mean, King David says, Behold, I was born in iniquity. And this is true. We are born sinners. And not only that, we, because we are sinners, we commit sins. The damage and hurt of those who are near to us or neighbors. And this sin cannot stand in the, in, in the presence of a holy God. Unless we are clothed. Remember Genesis 3. God sacrificing those animals so they could clothe Adam and Eve. Unless we are clothed in Christ, standing in the presence of a holy God, which is, I'm convinced, the the complete um, eschaton. If we're not clothed, we cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. Check this out. When the king came to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him out into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called... If you are chosen. If sin could stand in the holiness of God, then it would no longer be holiness or otherness. It would be sameness. I'm sorry, Pastor Jeff, but I do not want to stand in the presence of a same God as me. I one day long to stand in the presence of a holy God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And, the, and I have no hope to do so apart from the sacrifice of Christ. Our sin matters. Our sin has offended a holy God and we are enemies with God. And unless that God intervenes in some way, We are hopeless. We are doomed. Praise be to God that this God in his graciousness and mercy and loving kindness toward us chose to take a penalty for our sin. 
and that one day, because of that cloak, that, that, that because of that cloak of righteousness Jesus has given to us to be a legitimate dinner guest at the wedding feast of the Son, we will be able to stand in the presence of a holy God. Thank you for listening to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. We'd love to hear from you. Please email us at discussion at godstillspeaksthroughjackasses.org. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash godstillspeaksthroughjackasses. And follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at JesusJackass. Please rate and review the cast on Stitcher and iTunes. That helps us quite a bit there as it gets us a little higher on the playlist with those folks. And tell your friends about the cast, especially if you're a little shy about sharing the gospel. Plus that... Your friends will laugh when they hear you say, God still speaks through jackasses. I may fold their brows, deep and furrow brows, uncanny and so clever, it's our newest plan ever, got tired of whining. All third-party material is used under the authority of the Copyright Act of 1976, 17, Section 107, Fair Use.